0: Welcome to the Compliance 911 Show, a no-nonsense podcast discussing hot topics for today's busy compliance professional. It's everything you wanted to know about regulatory compliance, but we're afraid to ask. And now, here are your hosts, Dean Stockford of m M&M Consulting and Len Susio of Geodata Vision.
1: Our podcast series addressing everything you wanted to know about regulatory compliance, but were afraid to ask. Dean, lately you have enlightened us on the importance of fair lending. Can you help the audience with some steps to prepare for a fair lending exam?
0: Absolutely. Let me first start by saying that the information gathered under other regulations, such as the Home Mortgage Disclosure Act and the Community Reinvestment Act, will be used to determine the scope of exam and assist in establishing a focal point. The exam focal points will be determined based on the lender's fair lending compliance management program. Final selection of focal points and intensity levels will be influenced heavily by the lender's demonstrated oversight of products, policies, marketing, and delivery to prohibited basis groups and neighborhoods. Per the interagency exam procedures, the examiner's review of the lender's compliance management systems for purposes of examination scope will take note of the following risk factors. The strength of the lender's overall compliance record, again, looking at exams and and, uh, state and federal, uh, looking at that record of examinations over a period of time. The completeness of ECOA and Humda monitoring information records. Data and record keeping issues, which result in unreliable information. The previous examinations uncovered fair lending problems and how were those corrected? Were they corrected timely? Do we have repetitive issues? The overall compliance program compared to other similar institutions. This is where you get into what we call peer comparisons and looking at market data, the regularity of updates to the compliance program to incorporate any changes that may have occurred within the regulation. Strength of fair lending training programs available and required for all employees. And that's not just the generic training, that is more job, periodic job-specific training. The appendix to the interagency fair lending exam procedures provides a listing of potential scoping information. Examiners may request to review in determining the focal points of the examination. Lenders should ensure that this provided information is accurate and available as applicable.
1: OK, so what types of information will examiners expect from the institution to review its compliance program?
0: Yeah, very good question. And let me expand directly from the interagency fail lending exam procedures organization charts identifying those individuals who have uh, lending responsibilities or compliance related responsibilities for Humda CRA uh, together with uh, the job descriptions for each p- position to see Uh, whether or not there are any protections uh, or provisions within the job descriptions as it relates to fair lending or commitments, lists of any pending litigation or administrative proceedings concerning fair lending matters, results of the self-evaluations or self-tests, including both internal and independent fair lending audits, and I'll get into that in just a moment a little bit further, any written or printed statements describing the institution's fair lending policies and procedures, The training materials related to fair lending issues, including records of attendance, records detailing policy exceptions or overrides, which is a big one, exception reporting and monitoring process. How did we document those files? Demographic information prepared or used by the institution. Uh, That market may be larger uh, than the CRA assessment area, better known as REMA, the reasonably expected market area. Any fair lending complaints received by the institution in their responses thereto, including CRA file information. They'll also be looking more heavily at loans and loan policy and loan volume information, internal underwriting guidelines. There have there been changes, deviations from those policies? Those are both commercial, consumer, retail. A description of any credit scoring system uh, in current use or the use during the examination period how do they use credit reports? Is it the highest score? Is it a combination of the two? Those types of things. Pricing policies for each of the loan products, both direct and indirect lending. Um, Is there any discretion that's uh, allotted within the pricing of that? Uh, Indirect lending does, uh, in certain cases, uh, afford uh, a dealer uh, a certain amount of flexibility in setting the pricing. A description uh, of each form of compensation plan for all lending personnel, how are they compensated based on volume, so on and so forth? Uh, it, and, and does that increase or elevate the risk associated with the p- potential discrimination? Advertising copies for all of the loan products in the internet site addresses so we can compare those. The most recent, humdalar, including unreported data if available and any existing registers for each non humda loan product. And here I like to throw a little caution in the air as well, relative to the data quality. And I do make a comment later on, uh, or I will make a comment later on as I get into that particular section um, about self-testing, but it's imperative that the HMDA data is accurate um, uh, before we do any type of uh, data analysis for fair lending uh, red flags. A description of of any application or loan level database is maintained, including a description of all of the data uh, fields within the database, or that can be linked to the loan level. The forms used in the application and credit evaluation process for each loan product. And then a list, uh, last but not least, of course, a list of the service providers, uh, which is that due diligence uh, component that we will be looking at as well.
1: Wow. That's very, a very comprehensive list of uh, items uh, for your our listeners. Now, once an examiner has completed the initial scoping and has established the focal points, what are the next steps they're going to take?
0: Well, as far as the examination manual itself, once the focal points and intensity levels have been determined, the lender's fair lending performance can then be assessed by applying the various data analysis outcomes to each of those focal points. And again, here's a word of caution. Uh, please make sure you've scrubbed your data before running any type of analysis. Uh, if your hum data relied on uh, for running the analysis is flawed, you'll most likely fail the exam
1: given the inaccuracy of the data used to run that analysis. Boy, I'll just say, Dean, uh, that the point you're making about data integrity and data data quality and reliability, applied to CRA as well, which is the area I specialize in. Uh, now, can, can you get into the weeds a little bit with regard to data analysis? Uh, once the data has been established as being reliable, et cetera, and can you highlight some of the key data points used to identify fair lending red flags?
0: Absolutely, and here are some key sampling data points in the analysis itself. Disparate treatment in the underwriting uh, analysis, and again, that's looking at various characteristics in the underwriting process uh, to make sure that we've consistently applied that and there's no evidence uh, of, of disparate treatment. Loan terms and conditions analysis, looking at the actual terms or conditions of a loan, making sure that, again, uh, no evidence of, of disparate treatment in how we apply our loan terms and conditions um, on any of the prohibited basis, disparate treatment analysis: a male, female, same economic attributes, one's treated more harshly than the other. That would be a form of analysis that we'll be looking for. And in the in, information that's gleaned from the R is certainly used in this process. Disparate impact analysis, steering analysis: you know, do we steer people into certain products that are higher priced, and hopefully? Uh, we're not pricing those higher based on a prohibited basis redlining analysis uh, whether or not we're discriminating against particular uh, neighborhoods uh, marketing analysis and then of course last but not least and these are not all inclusive but credit scoring analysis looking at how the scores are applied or used in pricing of a loan as i mentioned uh, these are some key data points but within each of these we look much much deeper uh, for evidence of red, uh, red flags for fair, fair lending violations.
1: Uh, that's an interesting thought. You've given quite a comprehensive list of uh, items uh, for banks to be aware of, and, uh, and you're saying you go even deeper into it. That's, that's really impressive. Uh, I can certainly understand now why financial institutions get higher levels of anxiety when preparing for a fair lending exam. Uh, now I know that at least at one point in time the examiners used to look at uh, and visit branches. Do do the examiners still include branch visits as part of a fair lending exam?
0: Yeah, another great question. I'm glad you mentioned it. The short answer is is yes, no, maybe so. Is probably what I should say. <laughs> uh, you know, keep in mind that branches also may be visited as part of the CRA exam. So it depends on how uh, those uh, the fair lending and the CRA kind of dovetail. Um, So it is possible uh, that your exam may not include a visit to a branch, um, but the likelihood of that is probably slim and none. The number and selection of branch offices to be visited and the intensity of the visits are determined by the level of risk or discriminatory risk presented by a number of factors. They'll look at the loan volume that's generated from that particular branch office itself. location and the demographic characteristics of the customer base we run into this often where you know where where the uh, comparisons to their peer groups uh you know are there's there's a a vast disparity uh, when you're looking at the the number of lending that is occurring in a particular area based on where their branch is located um and when you when you make that actual comparison why is it uh, that uh, that you're not generating the same types of activity. So in those peer comparisons, it's important um, to look at degree of branch independence in marketing, underwriting, or other key lending-related functions. What is the makeup of the branch? Do they ha- do they offer or do they conduct any target marketing or marketing uh, outside of what I would call the centralized process for marketing? Complaints that may have been received by those certain branches or the branch network, and then of course, information from the community representatives. People always ask me, what does that mean? Well, community representatives could be, you go out and talk to groups uh, that may have issues or they've filed complaints against a particular uh, lender or area or have concerns. So you gotta look at all of those things. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind that a key feature of the risk-based fair lending exam is the examiner's assessment of the self-evaluation of the compliance management review, so they're, you know, this is again a self-assessment. That's the institution themselves conducting uh, the assessment, um, and uh, what those do is it, it helps create focal points for the for the regulators. And considerations are the quality and the comprehensiveness of the lender's self-evaluation, um, the examiner's selection of both examination focal points and sample sizes. The examiner can. Uh, Ought to substitute different focal points for those originally selected for review through that scoping process. So if the lender has demonstrated adequate review of focal points through its self-evaluation, then they can mitigate the risk uh, uh, initially and narrow the scope of the exam. The examiner can opt out to use smaller sample sizes in a given range if the lender has demonstrated an adequate level of file review and preventative measures through self-evaluation. And this isn't just looking at the adverse action notices. I always called that kind of traditional fair lending comparisons where you're looking at originated loans and comparing the characteristics of those to those that have been denied. Um, So it's, it goes way beyond that. There's no legal or agency requirement for lenders to, to conduct these activities. Um, But the absence of any of the policies and practice listed in the, what we call the compliance management checklist is never by itself a violation, but it's important that uh, we have good, written, strong uh, program documents because the importance of the compliance management program, uh, including the self-evaluation um, is, 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 uh, is very, very important. They'll look at uh, all of that uh, and related to the level of discriminatory risk presented by the assessment area, the product mix, and of course, the product delivery systems. So once the fair lending examiner has completed all of this, the review of the determined focal points, and then they gather all of that information necessary to determine the lender's fair lending compliance, the results will be made available to the lender. And and, I, and, and that is, it's not to the bank, it's to the lender. Because keep in mind, all of this data analysis is essentially identifying red flags. It's not necessarily identifying what we call violations of fair lending. It's a red flag by which the lender then needs to defend why they did what they did. At the initial result stage, the lender will be given the opportunity to rebut or explain any of the, what we call adverse findings. The examiner will then review those responses uh, from the lender to determine if the explanation provided does justify what we call the apparent fair lending violation. Uh, If the examiner does not agree with the lender's uh, response to that, a documented list or what we call discussion items of violations or draft examiner report will include and will be prepared uh, in the determination will be made whether to undertake an additional enforcement uh, actions or violations will be referred to the Department of Justice or CFPB in this particular case. The explanation excuse me, provided by the lender will be made part of that final examination process. So. Uh, you hear us talk about it often, uh, you know, document, document, document. Obviously we have to be careful about what we put in our files, but, uh, tell us why, tell us the story, what happened in each one of the loan files. I think that is the best practice.
1: Well, you know, Dean, I can, uh, confirm what you're saying in my own experience, uh, working with hundreds of banks over the last 27 years or so that the, there's no doubt that, uh, the regulators are expecting banks to become self-examiners. I'll use the term, basically. They want to see there's some kind of program set up, even though it's not legally required, like you said. They want to see that the bank is managing its risk by, in effect, conducting ongoing self-examinations. And I know from my experience that the banks that do that from a CRA point of view always get through their CRA exams a lot easier. So tell me, in your experience, do financial institutions seem to do better in a fair lending exam when they have conducted and provided self tests? Is that your experience? And what, yes. what should that include?
0: Yeah, no, I, you know, I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah, self-tests are certainly something that institutions uh, should be doing on a regular basis, not just in, in prep for an examination. I mean, you don't want to be blindsided. You want to make sure, uh, obviously, that that you can, uh, uh Uh, Stand the test of time is what I've always said with the with the regulator. So, again, tell the story, make sure our files are sufficiently documented and make sure that you take fair lending serious with yourself test and self-assessments. It's important for you to be proactive in heading off any uh, any uh, regulatory risk, per se, uh, by conducting those self tests and identifying red flags so that you're uh, prepared to defend that particular position file. Uh, While these tests help streamline the exam process, they help an institution identify, again, those red flags well in advance of their exam. For an examiner to rely on those self-tests, they must not have occurred any longer than two years prior to the exam. It must have covered kind of the same product, prohibited basis, uh, decisioning centers, and, of course, stage in the lending process
1: as the regulators exam themselves. Wow. Uh, This is certainly extremely valuable and comprehensive information from our audience. I'm certain they're, they're happy they're listening to listen to a recording. I'll bet there'll be a number of listeners, Dean, that'll play this over and over again, making notes. So we hope all of the listeners today have enjoyed today's podcast and found it invaluable and informative as I do. This is Len Susio with GeodataVision.
0: And this is Dean Stockford from m M&M Consulting saying thank you for listening to today's topic on Fair Lending Exam Prep and to please let us know of any topics you would like to hear in the future. Thanks for listening to The Compliance 911 Show. If you like the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. While you're at it, please give us a like and review to help others find the show. As always, links are in the show notes, and you can always find us online at compliance911show.com. Follow Eminem Consulting
1: and GeoData Vision on LinkedIn for all the latest news and information on compliance hot topics.